So, Mark. Yes? In the climax of this week's movie, recent graduates of the Navy's fighter combat school are sent to fight mysterious fighter planes from somewhere. Yeah, it's never super clear what's going on. It is not specified at all. It's 1986, which makes it Cold War. But if they were Soviet, it would be a much bigger deal. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, like... A really big deal if they were shooting down Soviet fighter planes at the end of this movie. Right. I think they say that it's in the Indian Ocean. Yeah, they do say that. I don't know. We'll call it Vietnam. Okay. (laughs) The movie pointedly doesn't specify, and if pressed, they would probably say that it's not any country in particular. So what I wanted to know is, in the spirit of that, what is your favorite fictional country? I find fictional countries in a lot of media to be funny because they're almost always a last holdout of absolute monarchy. Yes. I mean, Zamundas. Zamundas, (laughs) your Genovias. Well, hey, Genovia has a parliament. It plays a big role in The Princess Diaries, too. Yeah, but isn't it still like an English-style parliament in the 1700s where they have some power, but the monarch exerts a lot of authority? Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah. Also, I think my favorite that always pops into my head is from The Princess Switch, because they just chose an existing place name. Belgravia is the neighborhood in London where the queen lives, and they just said, nope, it's now a country. This is Belgravia. I still have not seen that movie. That's I mean, fine. You can keep it that way. <laughs> I just can't wait till they're up to, like, the multiverse version where they have to go so far into the switching that they're now at infinite Vanessa Hudgenses. Yeah, that's the thing where, like, I am pretty sure that Princess Switch 3 was billed as the epic conclusion to the Princess Switch trilogy. But now that multiverses have gone mainstream, it seems like an obvious thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that might draw me back in, I will say. (laughs) If we get a multiverse Princess Switch movie... Set in Galbravia, and there's like six Vanessa Hudgens on the other side of the dimensional shift. I might watch it. What happens in these movies? Like, why are there so many of her? I We only watched the first one, so we cannot okay. speak to why there is a third one. <laughs> in the first one, it is pure coincidence. Vanessa Hudgens, okay. the baker from Chicago, just happens to look like Vanessa Hudgens, the Duchess of Montanaro. Okay, okay, that's fair so far. This movie is like a black hole. We talk about it constantly. <laughs> I actually I actually do think you've talked about it before when I've been up here. We are always drawn back to the Princess Switch because it is honestly the pinnacle of the Netflix Christmas movies. It's one of the most baffling things we've ever seen. I think, honestly, well, okay. The Princess Switch maybe gets the edge because it has the Netflix, like, made-up Christmas countries thing. Okay. I think the, the the argument for The Night Before Christmas being the pinnacle is that in The Night Before Christmas, they watch A Christmas Prince. Yeah, I was about to bring that up because I also just remember that they name-drop and product placement Netflix movies in the Netflix movie. Yeah, Vanessa Hudgens says in that movie that A Christmas Prince is her favorite movie. <laughs> So there's already a multiverse of sorts. Like there Yes. <laughs> One of the worst 
versions of this was in the reboot of Veronica Mars, where in like episode one or something, she and Logan settle down and one of them says like, do you want to watch the Hulu original show Harlots on Hulu, (laughs) essentially? And then they show a clip of them watching Harlots, a Hulu original. I almost turned the show off. I almost walked away. What's funny is like, I have been so warped by all of this corporate synergy that I now think it's weird like when it doesn't happen. Yeah. So like I will be asking like why aren't they watching Paramount shows or something? So where were we? What were we talking? Yeah, so talking about fictional countries that we love. I think my favorite probably has to be Fredonia from Duck Soup. Oh yes. The Marx Brothers movie where they are in charge of a country. I have not watched that one yet, but it sounds like a very fun one. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's excellent. Highly recommend it. You know, it's a Marx Brothers movie, so there's a lot of good gags. They get overthrown at the end. It's good stuff. Fredoni is an obvious one for me. I mean, I love, I don't know if it counts as a country, but Waponi Woo from Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh, <laughs> is that really a country? I, I don't know. They're more of an, an isolated people. Irish and Italian and Jewish sailors who got lost and wound up on an island where they built their culture around orange soda. Wow, I do not remember a lot of the details of that movie. If you want to make a movie about going to a Pacific island and dealing with the rituals of the people there, making them lost Irish people feels like a strong move. Yeah, I mean... Why... Why orange soda? Because <laughs> it's like funny. I'm missing, like, something critical. Just because it's funny. Yeah. So they have, like, crushed soda cans and stuff as part of their, like, ritual garb. <laughs> what about you? Do you have I a like favorite that. fictional okay. country? I was definitely going to say Genovia. But that's because you're, like, a pear fanatic, right? I mean, most of our pears come from Genovia, don't they? Yeah. Exactly. That's why I love it. Um, Where else would I want to be? Like, I I think it's just, it also just looks really nice. And like Chris Pine's there. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It all seems like a good thing. Is he Genovian in the movie? I thought he was like from another country. He is there. He's Genovian. He has (laughs) Chris Pine in, in the Princess Diaries to a royal engagement is Genovian. He is like a rival claimant to the throne. He is also, canonically in the movie, descended from Machiavelli. (laughs) Okay, first, Will, you have a great memory. Um, Second, I don't think I remember that at all. There is a portrait of Machiavelli in his, like, mean uncle's house. And he's like, you've got to stay in touch with our ancestors, like Niccolo Machiavelli. It is (laughs) so weird how good your memory for movies is, Will. When was the last time you watched that? It's impressive. I mean... Probably I guess knowing like Fiona, years ago. I was going to say knowing Fiona could have easily been like two weeks ago. No, it was probably like 15 years ago, but I saw it a bunch. Like I saw that movie in theaters and I definitely saw it many times at home growing up. Yeah. Is that because you liked it? No, or... it's because my sisters liked it. <laughs> Will got outvoted two to it's one, a great movie, it seems. So. Yeah, we, but like, you know, they also saw a lot of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> pretty good movie i don't think suzanne ever got forced into re-watching because of me i got her to watch one time but she was in charge of any repeat viewings growing up <laughs> all right so we've covered some great fictional countries the best being the anonymous top gun probably southeastern asian anonymous communist nation from 1986 or like possibly it could be iran yeah could be iran Indian Ocean is quite big. We actually have no idea. It could be a lot, yeah. It's like South Africa. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's just England. They're fighting over <laughs> Diego Garcia. The thing about like these vague 80s countries, this is like not an 80s thing, but like the funniest thing that it makes me think of is so Mark, you're familiar with Red Dawn? Yeah, I've heard of it. The movie from the 80s where the Soviets invade the United States and like random dudes have to fight them off in the middle oh, of nowhere. Right, and then they remade it and they were going to do China, but then they realized the Chinese box office is too powerful, so they changed it to North Korea like in post. Exactly. Yeah. I remember that story. Which also feels fitting because Top Gun is like the ultimate example of a movie that is changed to appease stakeholders. I honestly don't really know what you mean, so I'm very excited to get into it. So welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing our world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, in honor of the long-delayed release of Top Gun Maverick this Friday, we are covering the classic 1986 fighter pilot extravaganza, Top Gun. (laughs) Now, we are recording this in advance. And if you were to tell me that we released this episode and Top Gun Maverick has been moved again... I wouldn't honestly be that surprised. I drank out of a Top Gun Maverick cup at a movie theater like a year ago now. <laughs> is it really? Is it supposed to come out Friday? Or Well, it's supposed to come out Friday after this episode comes out. Okay, great. Yeah, it comes out Memorial Day weekend. It was originally scheduled for release like 4th of July 2020. And what that means is like for a movie that big, that marketing campaign was already starting to ramp up when the pandemic hit. Which is why all these paper cups had already been made that I then used a year later. It was funny, like, in the spring of 2020, I moved to an apartment that was, like, two blocks from a movie theater. So, like, walking around my neighborhood during the pandemic, I'd see all these, like, movie posters outside the theater. And a lot of those movies still haven't come out. Like, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Minions 2, probably some others that I've forgotten about. I feel like there was some Minions stuff at the movie theater yesterday, Will. Well, yeah, it's, it is now scheduled to come out again, and so they are ramping up the okay. marketing campaign again. I hate the Minions. <laughs> I have only ever seen the first Despicable Me, and it did not inspire me to see a bunch more. I enjoyed the first Despicable Me. I thought the Minions were funny. But now, I hate the Minions, because they have Walk. gotten too powerful. I have met too many... <laughs> normally logical, smart adult people with good taste who somehow in like three to four years after the first one were like, I love minions. It had like a minion paraphernalia. And I was like, this is a minion disease. And then the boomers got hold of it. So the first minion movie is like a period piece. What is that? <laughs> Will, some, Will, sometimes you say things with such confidence, and I'm like, it feels right and so wrong, but I believe him because of the, the fir- confidence. So, uh, Gru, the Steve Carell character, is not in the first Minions movie. The first Minions movie is like other supervillains, and the Minions are involved somehow. I did not see this movie. Much of the movie is in Minion speak. <laughs> And so this one is Minions colon The Rise of Gru, and it's about, the, like, 
young Gru this movie has joined come out the League of Supervillains and getting the minions to help him. I thought this movie came out in like 2018, like the rise of Gru specifically. It's been no. that long. My brain time is broken. It's one of those things like Morbius where you're like, the trailer came out three years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Have you guys seen Morbius? I have seen Morbius. Of course not, Melissa. (laughs) Mark will only go if something seems really good. I will go if it's showing within an hour of the school day ending. I just got Sonic 2 tickets today. (laughs) Yeah. I... Especially now with Marvel, my new bar is like, is this representational in some way? And I should, like, I thought about seeing Captain Marvel, then I saw how much military propaganda was in it, and then I decided that does not outweigh the representation. So the last one I watched was Black Panther. Yeah, but (laughs) I think that's not fair to all the people with incredibly rare blood diseases that can be cured with vampire I was about to say. Like, those people need representation, Mark. Uh, yeah, but pedophiles don't. <laughs> this, I feel like every time I'm here, it takes a turn. <laughs> I don't know when it will be, but it always appears at some point. <laughs> Have you ever seen Jared Leto in any performance where you thought he was great? Never great. I like him in House of Gucci. <laughs> yes, but never great. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I think that performance is tapped into a good version of that movie. Yeah. Like, the problem with House of Gucci is that there are different movies ineffectively smushed together. And the fun, wacky Italian movie, which is the movie Lady Gaga is mostly in, is the one people wanted and the part of it that people liked. And Jared Leto is locked into that version of the movie. I would say that... I think that's fair. He and Lady Gaga are in different movies slightly still, though. Because I think Lady Gaga and Salma Hayek are keyed into the exact same movie. Yes. Uh, wow. Yeah, House of Gucci could have been better. I watched it on a night where I was pulling an all-nighter, and it made me feel even more insane. Yeah, that sounds like a good choice of time. It was a really bad idea. I watched a lot of movies that night. House of Gucci, Coda, Zola... Why were you pulling an all-nighter? Were you just watching movies? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, so Caleb was gone, and I just am not great living alone. And so I thought, I'll just stay up all night. Why? And why not? (laughs) I mean, I probably won't sleep well, so, like, let me just give this a shot. So I watched those three movies, and when I watched Enola Holmes. That movie stinks. I loved Enola Holmes. No, I hated that movie. What time of night did you start it, Melissa? Because this might impact you're viewing (laughs) so i started i actually started enola pretty early in the night but then when i started to i like watched the other ones in the middle of them and then i went back to enola but i was so tired and i thought it was cute so i waited until the next day to finish it my favorite thing about enola holmes is that that i don't know if it was the movie or like the author of the books that it's based on was sued by the arthur conan doyle heirs really yes Because the character Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain at this point. But they were trying to argue that only character traits exhibited in Sherlock Holmes stories that are already in the public domain are in the public domain. So a character trait from, like, the last collection of stories is not fair game. And they argued that Sherlock Holmes caring about other people (laughs) does not show (laughs) up in the public domain stories. Did they win this? They did not. Yeah, that feels like a stretch. (laughs) 
Well, that was yeah. So watching Jared Leto in House in House of Gucci at like two a.m. I just felt really nuts. I am still reeling from this because I've never stayed up all night. Like, it's not good. Like I, I it's just, really not a the good idea choice. Of just be choosing to stay up with no reason is baffling. <laughs> Sleeping is what I spend I, my day looking forward to most. I think I'm I'm with you, but it's like I. I just, I get, I think I'm too paranoid to live alone. And so I thought, okay, let me just stay up all night. And you lived the best alone way to for like that, many years, right? When did I, I've, no. I've never, I've never. In San Francisco alone. before Caleb moved out there. I was in San Francisco for one year before Caleb moved out there and I had okay. a roommate for most of it. Okay. And then like the two months where I lived alone, I was going insane. <laughs> And it's just not, I don't know. It feels like it should be for me, but it's not. So I just thought I'll watch movies. I pulled all-nighters in college. It can't be that bad. But the drop-off in how your body reacts to anything. It's much worse than <laughs> it is It's dramatic. so serious. It's very dramatic. So I'm watching We Crashed. I like Jared Leto in that. I mean, we're not here to talk about Jared Leto, but he's pretty good in it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's not our focus, but attention must be paid. It's Dr. Michael Morbius. <laughs> I don't really want to see that movie, but I feel like I have to. I would love you to know never, your thoughts on it. You never have to see a movie, Melissa. You never have right? to do I, anything. I feel like if I, like, I want to exercise that on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do have to watch a movie if you agree to be on an episode of this podcast. That is true, which is why I had to watch Pool Boy Nightmare. But, alas... <laughs> You got to watch Pool Boy Nightmare. (laughs) It was my pleasure to watch that. But let's seize on this moment to to pivot back to Top Gun. Like, what is everybody's experience of this movie? I had seen it once five years ago, like, on a friend's TV. So I, like, had a general sense of it. But I do feel like this was my first time really sitting down and considering it. This is the first time I've ever watched it in any form. And all I knew about it was the, like, famously homoerotic volleyball scene. And I kind of expected that to be the moment. But, uh, mm, extremely homoerotic throughout. I was too distracted by the similarities of this movie to a very cliche gay porn from this era of, like, (laughs) two sailors on a boat, rock music behind them. Ooh, they might kiss, and they never did, but, like, it was distracting how 80s erotica this probably inspired rather than was responding to, but it was still very weird and camp. I I had never thought about watching this movie ever, and then a couple of years ago, Caleb made me watch it for the 4th of July or something, like, too, like, American and awful. And I, about 45 minutes in, was like, this is terrible. Can you, we please just fast forward to the end? And so we did that. And then this time I, like, truly watched it. And I don't know. It's a movie. This movie, I did not care Melissa, for. are you, like, a Tony Scott fan at all? Because I feel like he's your kind of director. Yes, I, I actually, I completely agree with that. And I thought that I would like this movie but it just did not it i don't know it just didn't click for me because i do like a bunch of his movies but i don't know it just wasn't for me now you know what really soured me on this movie to the point of no return during (laughs) the sex scene which was very funny (laughs) 
The sex scene, perfect. No notes. <laughs> no when notes. They, I was enjoying it until <laughs> there's a shot of them, like, full tongues out touching. Yes. And I almost threw up. And I almost had to turn it off. So you're you're anti the tongue the war. The silhouette tongue action was horrifying. Right. They don't actually kiss. It's just blue lighting <laughs> 80s sex scene. Their mouths are open, it's close in, and their tongues are are like stroking one another. And it's horrifying because these are not these are not people in love. These are two actors getting paid and someone is directing them to rub their tongues against each other. In Tony a, we is. should note, and I think it's important, a British accent. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Oh. It is very jarring. It is very jarring to again, I think we when we did Pool Boy Nightmare, we talked about the least sexy sex scene I, that we'd seen. This might be up that, there. I think that was the opener. This was, yeah, this is definitely very chaotic. I love this sex scene because <laughs> it's very reminiscent of the sex scene in The Terminator, which is two years earlier. I think that's a better sex scene. Well, part of the difference is The Terminator is an R-rated, like, violent movie. And so in yeah. The Terminator, they can more closely simulate intercourse. Like, it's still 80s movie sex, so it doesn't look realistic, but, like, they can show more physicality. This movie is trying really hard not to be an R-rated movie. And so they have to give us the vague sense of eroticism without actually showing anything. I think that was worse than a sex scene, though. Like, I felt more... I I feel like that was bad for, like, all viewers, everyone involved. Just, like, not the right choice. I... uh cannot imagine being an actor being directed to kiss that way (laughs) like try and put yourself in their shoes for a minute is it better or worse if like they weren't directed that way like they just like oh that's just how they did it yeah they were like let's just do let's just like be in the moment this is the vibe is that worse than if tony scott was like no that's that's probably better yeah (laughs) is it were they both virgins who'd never kissed anyone? <laughs> Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis had both kissed people in movies before this. It doesn't feel that way. This feels like a third grader trying to describe how grown-ups kiss. This movie is three years after Risky Business. They both oh, stick wow. their tongues out and then rub their tongues together back and forth. <laughs> and that's kissing. I will say, the kissing aside, like, Top Gun is not my movie the way that it is some people's movie. I do feel like I get it. Like, I was reading reviews from when it came out, and a lot of the critics basically responded to it by saying, like, the problem with Top Gun is some of it's really good and some of it's really boring. And the airplane photography is really cool, but some of the character dynamics, while occasionally funny, are not always, like, selling you on a great movie. They spend so much time sweaty in towels in a locker room in this movie. Yeah, it's a sweaty movie. But I feel like, and even people who aren't in the locker room, like uh, the principal from Back to the Future, who sends them to Top Gun, like he's really sweaty. He's always in his uniform. Yeah, it's a sweaty movie. I feel like sweaty movie. I anticipate the movie to be better. If that's like one of the descriptions, but I think it's mostly just sweaty. I do think it's notable that this is like Tony Scott's second movie, and before that. He's part of that crew of British directors who come out of commercial directing, along with his brother Ridley Scott, Alan Parker, Adrian Lyne, where they direct all of these, like, flashy, attention-grabby commercials, 
and get Hollywood jobs off of that. I sent you all the sob commercial that Tony Scott did that got him this job. And you watch that and you're like, yeah, this guy has like a cinematic eye. Yeah. The commercial's better than the movie. <laughs> like I, <laughs> like the commercial is really well done and makes me think, should I get a sob? But the movie, <laughs> no. Sob is one of those car companies that I always am surprised still exists. Are there, are there other car companies? There are other exist? car companies. Oh, eight. It doesn't what exist anymore. What about ones anymore. that you're surprised about? That explains that. <laughs> <laughs> it shuttered in 2016. Oh, I did, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I'm always surprised when I hear the word Pontiac also. Like that it ever existed. <laughs> mm. Which is why it's a great joke brand of a car, which it has now mostly become. So, of course... Like, the stuff that I and, and most critics felt was most effective was all the airplane stuff. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but one of the big memories of Top Gun today is its role as, like, U.S. military iconography. Is it true that it really did spur Navy enrollment as much as people say? Uh, the Navy claims that it did, at the very least. So they did set up, like, recruiting booths in a lot of movie theaters. Talking about naval aviators specifically, they claim that applicants for that rose 500%. My inherent distrust of a lot of institutions is kicking in. (laughs) I mean, as far as this movie being influential, Ray-Ban sales also jumped 40%. That I believe. That I believe, because, like, it's much easier to see a movie and say, I want those sunglasses, than it is to leave a movie and say, I want that job. But we saw the same thing with Jerry Maguire, where a statistically significant increase of people going into sports agency happened. It's Tom Cruise. It's the Tom Tom Cruise effect. I mean, Tom Cruise made me want to join the IMF. (laughs) I still want to join the IMF. (laughs) The Impossible Mission Force. (laughs) Yeah. My problem is I still hear that big international monetary fund. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a hard pivot from high school teacher to international (laughs) finance person. But with Top Gun, like, this is a movie where you kind of get, like, you can't make this movie without the cooperation of the U.S. military, which is not to say that it's necessarily, like, a great thing at all times, but, like, this movie only functions that way. Yeah. You do need the, like, military equipment in this movie, but I think the, like, Pentagon's program of editing scripts as part of the agreement to lend out equipment is not a good thing so actually at the time top gun was being made that program was not widely known about in the public like people really learned about it in like 2001 when the first wave of documents related to it were declassified i feel like it was captain marvel that brought it to the forefront of everyone's mind again too yeah and and like other movies it cropped up with like battleship was a big one like yeah but battleship was also a bad movie that no one watched (laughs) Okay, that wasn't entirely Battleship's fault, though, because the studio, I think it was Universal, had made a deal with Hasbro to make, like, $200 million worth of movies based on Hasbro properties, and Battleship was supposed to be one of them. It was supposed to be, like, an $80 million action movie, but then none of the other projects took off, and if the studio didn't spend $200 million on production, they were going to have to pay way more to Hasbro 
So they demanded that the director of Battleship add in a bunch more stuff to make the movie more expensive. Did you watch Battleship, Will? I did not. Is that when they added Rihanna because her salary alone was like (laughs) took up a significant chug? But like that's how that became like a big CGI goop fest. I mean, that tracks, but I guess people probably did talk about it, but I think I didn't see it as described as insidiously in like news articles until Captain Marvel. Well, sure. I mean- the Marvel Cinematic Universe occupies such a yeah. different powerful realm place. in the public mind. Yeah. And Captain Marvel is not a movie where I think you necessarily need that stuff. Whereas, like, for all the, like, questionable aspects of this program, I do think Top Gun, they kind of needed that cooperation. Yeah. It's like, make the movie with the cooperation or don't make the movie. Whereas Captain Marvel, I think you could make the movie without that cooperation. But, like, Mark, you don't watch live TV, so you probably don't even know that, like, there were, like, Air Force recruiting ads featuring clips from Captain Marvel. I don't like that. I don't like <laughs> recruiting ads in general. I think they're all bad and poorly made. On top of all of the, like, weird kind of semi-lies I see in them. In 2013, the Chinese state broadcaster ran a package on TV advertising the effectiveness and the triumphs of the Chinese Air Force... And it included a bunch of clips of Top Gun. Now see, that I could get on board with. Just openly easy to prove lying. I was reading news coverage from 2001 when these documents were declassified. And it was fun to read reasons that DOD refused to cooperate with movies. Like, they refused to work with Forrest Gump because of the suggestion that the army was full of, quote, the guileless or soldiers of limited intelligence. And because they said a member of the U.S. Armed Forces would not show their butt to the president. (laughs) My God. They refused to help Independence Day because civilians saved the day. God. I love these reasons. They did help Goldeneye, but they demanded that a traitor selling secrets be switched to being French. That's just funnier. I don't know that they specifically demanded French, but they demanded that he not be U.S. military. That just also makes more sense for a James Bond movie because... He doesn't like the French. That, oh my god. It just reminds me too of like the US government being suspicious of it's a wonderful life because a banker is portrayed as a bad guy. Ayn Rand wrote a whole thing about it. Yeah, and Luella Parsons hated it too, I think. Or no, Hedda Hopper. She was the more conservative one. Now, one other interesting thing that I learned regarding like the military of all this is that the general history the movie gives us about the real Top Gun Academy is pretty much true that during the Vietnam War, there was a joint Navy-Air Force study to figure out why so many planes were being shot down. The Navy said, oh, it's because of inadequate dogfighting skills and set up a school to teach air-to-air combat. What I learned that's interesting is the Air Force came to a different conclusion from the same study, and the Air Force decided that the issue was planes were being shot down from behind, and instead of refocusing on air-to-air combat, they developed better airborne radar. Do we have, like, studies as to which was more successful? I couldn't find that. I feel like it would be easier to just develop a better radar, because it also has other benefits outside of just fighting. Look, I agree with you. And Top Gun is, like, the nickname for it, right? Yes. Like, how did this name come to be? I don't really know. I mean, I'm Uh, guessing (laughs) it's because it's the best gunners. The top gunners. That would make sense. why not, like, I don't know, top... I don't know. Top flyer. I guess that's stupid. Top gun is better. Because the whole thing, it's not necessarily about their flying so much as it's about their their combat skills. 
Yeah. It also just sounds good. That's the thing. It's a cool... Like, it's great for the movie that this thing had this cool name. Yeah. Imagine if it was just called, like, where is it? San Mateo? One of those California places. It's at Miramar. Miramar. Not a bad name, either. The movie got started because there was an article in California Magazine about this, like, military flight academy. And Don Simpson and our guy Jerry Bruckheimer bought the rights to the article. And they hired Jim Cash and Jack Epps to write it. Some of the changes demanded by the military, we didn't mention this. They demanded that the dogfight be moved to vague international waters. Whereas in the original screenplay, it was specifically fighting against Cuba. Oh. Honestly, that I respect on the military's part. That shows an understanding of, like, international relations to some degree. There was a sequence where a plane crashed into an aircraft carrier, which the Navy did not want to do because their planes don't crash. And Maverick's love interest was originally an enlisted sailor, and it was changed to a contractor because officers are not allowed to date enlisted people. I mean, that I also think is good because it sets a bad precedent. Right. It's like already watching this movie, you're like, it seems like they shouldn't be dating. Like, this should be an issue. Right. But <laughs> yeah. It was even more of an issue it w- originally. Yeah, it would be even worse if it was his, like, direct superior. Uh, the character that Kelly McGillis plays, Charlie, is based on a real person who was a contractor at Top Gun, who then later served as, uh, her name's Christine Fox. She later served as acting deputy assistant secretary of defense under Obama. And now she works at the applied physics lab at Johns Hopkins. We should have had like a special guest. Yeah, we should have. We should have called her. (laughs) One of my favorite things about U.S. departments is the amount of modifiers that will get added to the word secretary. Acting deputy assistant. Acting deputy assistant. And uh, under like acting deputy assistant under secretary. Look, I'm sure it makes sense to someone, but it doesn't make sense to me. No. Um, I am excited to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, Kelly McGillis, who's coming off of a Golden Globe nomination and a BAFTA nomination for Witness. Like, she is kind of weirdly one of the more pedigreed actors in this cast, which is full of young hotties. Yeah. You've got Tom Cruise in one of his first, like, roles as an adult. I mean, she's still a young hottie in this. Let's be real. Oh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But, like, Tom Cruise is coming off The Outsiders and Risky Business, where he's playing, like, a high schooler. Right. This is the movie that really makes him, like, a bona fide movie star. Like, before that, yeah. he was... A young hotshot. Right, a young hotshot. When Top Gun becomes the biggest movie of 1986, that's when it's like, okay, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is good in this, I gotta say. I find him very charming. It. Yeah. Actually, uh, Melissa, yeah, where are you on Tom Cruise? Because Mark and I talk about him every once in a while because okay comes up. Um, I like Tom Cruise. I think that, like, it was really weird watching this movie because he's so sort of dynamic and, like, charming and alive, like, in this movie. Whereas I think over time it's just sort of, like, his performances get pretty flat and don't have a lot of, like lightness. Or I don't know. Like, there's, there's not very dynamics. But I like I like Tom Cruise for the most part. I mean, I think there's something to, like, Tom Cruise of the 2010s, of Mission Impossible, but also stuff like Oblivion, is a Tom Cruise that is, like, kind of lasered in on, like, guy who is good at his job. And character drama comes from when those two things can't match. So, like, Ethan Hunt Mm. can't have a personal life because he's too committed to being good at his job. I do wonder if, like, (laughs) who knows if this is true at all, if there's some degree to which, like, getting deeper and deeper into Scientology 
plays a role in all that. Where Scientology is so much about like having control over your emotional state that yeah, that's why we don't get these like characters like Maverick who have these outbursts and are kind of unpredictable in that way. But it's also why one of his best performances in recent times is Night and Day slash Live Die Repeat. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Night and Day. I have not seen Edge of Tomorrow slash Live Die Repeat. He's going full. Like, goofy, fun Tom Cruise who has to learn to be good at his job. Yeah, I mean, that's what's great about that movie. With that movie, it's kind of nice to be reminded that, like, there is still some skill and, like, depth there. I mean, I love Mission Impossible, but, like... But he's... he's, he's, it's, he's it's definitely not his performance yeah. that's selling <laughs> these movies. The thing you're watching for in Mission Impossible is, like, what's the next crazy thing Tom Cruise is gonna literally do? Yeah. Right. And the side characters are also very fun in that series. Whereas this is a movie that really is built around Tom Cruise. You've got Kelly McGillis, you know, you've got Val Kilmer, heck, you've got, like, Meg Ryan cropping up occasionally. Oh my god, when she showed up, I was like, what are you doing here in such a small role? This is one of her first movies. I knew it must have been because she's Meg Ryan. She's just a star. I just, like, as soon as she... As soon as she appeared, I think I wrote, like, she is just that girl. Meg, like, Meg <laughs> Ryan she shows is no up, it's just great. best friend's wife. Yeah, she's just immediately compelling on screen. And you're like, give that girl some big but not aggressive hair and, and put her in a car with <laughs> Billy Crystal. She honestly was one of the peak, like, 80s hair, big but not intimidating. We mentioned that this movie, uh, it was number one. For 1986, the crazy statistic about that is that it opens on May 16th, 1986, which was unusual at the time because back then the summer movie season didn't start until after Memorial Day. But it opens and then its theater count, like the actual number of screens it's on, did not drop for seven weeks. That's absurd. Wow. Like it, it's just a testament to how completely dominant this movie was in the summer of 1986. And then on top of that, it then became the best-selling VHS tape in history just based on pre-orders because they priced it really low. Mm. It was $26.95 in a period where most VHS tapes were still in like the $70 to $80 range because the wow. whole business model for VHS was you don't sell to consumers, you sell it to video stores who will then make the money back over time through rental fees. Uh, Yeah, because VHS players... I guess you didn't need a VHS collection. Right. It was like people would own a VCR, but they would rent their VHS tapes. Like that was the whole business model. And Top Gun was the first tape that was really priced towards consumers. There was this huge joint ad campaign with Pepsi, which I'm going to put on our Twitter page because I think it's kind of a great ad. Uh, It's uh, a commercial. It's these two like fighter pilots and they have uh, a Pepsi bottle dispenser in the thing and the guy he can't get the bottle to come out of the cup holder so he has to do a barrel roll so the pepsi will pour out of his bottle into his cup (laughs) that is inverted does not sound (laughs) pentagon approved it's a pretty great ad but then pepsi did a deal where if you mailed in your top gun proof of purchase they'd give you another five dollars back so then all the video stores advertised that top gun was like a twenty dollar tape i would imagine very few people did that yeah i don't know what were some of the other popular movies when this came out? Um, I know number two is Crocodile Dundee. Great. <laughs> big year for dudes. Big, big year for dudes. Big year for dudes. Just big year for dudes. <laughs> dudes, being dudes. Um, 1986 box office. Number one, Top Gun. Number two, Crocodile Dundee. 
Number three, Platoon. Number big four. Big year for the military. Big year for military <laughs> movies. Um, although Platoon, less one that DOD would have loved. That's true. Number four, The Karate Kid Part 2. Number five, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Number six, Back to School. Number seven, Aliens. Number eight, The Golden Child. Number nine, Ruthless People. Number ten, Ferris Bueller. Again, big year for dudes. We've got Tom Cruise again at number 12 in The Color of Money. I think Big Year for Dudes is like the the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I, that really is seeming that way. In addition to its boatloads of money, Top Gun also won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, not for Danger Zone, but for Take My Breath Away, the sex song. I just, like, I wonder how many specifically sex songs have won Oscars. We should do a bonus episode on that. Yeah, I would I would 100% listen to that. I am very curious about the answer to that question. The thing I appreciate about Danger Zone in Top Gun is it's like they saw Back to the Future, subject to a future two-hour episode, the year before. And they were like, oh, in Back to the Future, they managed to play The Power of Love like four times. And then Jerry Bruckheimer said, hey, Tony, see if we can beat that ratio. <laughs> this movie does not believe in science. Or does not believe in silence. Science? <laughs> Or science, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it is. We keep talking about like it's shot by a guy who made commercials. Like it does ha- just have the feel of a commercial for, I guess, the U.S. Navy. Because, like, yeah, there is like the constant sound of it all. It's the most warmly lit action movie you've ever seen. Yes. Like everyone glows the whole mm-hmm. time. There's this great story about one time they were trying to shoot like planes on the deck of the aircraft carrier they used is the Enterprise. And they're trying to shoot planes on the deck and the ship starts to turn and it's getting away from the sunset. And Tony Scott goes to the captain and he's like, yo, I need shots with the sunset there. Can we adjust back? And the pilot goes, it's $25,000 to turn this ship. (laughs) Like that is what it costs in terms of resources. And Tony Scott takes out a checkbook, writes a $25,000 check and hands it to him. Oh my God. I love that. I mean, I think this is such an interesting point, like, and I'm glad that you sent us the song commercial because as I watch Top Gun, that's really what I feel like I'm, I I get that the Navy said that their enrollment or like applications increased 500% because that's what you're being sold like a fantasy. It's like a perfume commercial. Like as I'm watching it, it that's what it feels like a very long commercial where you're sort of being pitched like a lifestyle and it's very warmly lit everyone's beautiful like it's sad but it's sensitive but it's also like exciting and fun at the end of it you're like yeah i want to be tom cruise and i want to go to top gun i just never felt that way because like it's just a bunch of sweaty guys getting mad at each other and not even in a sexy way for the most part but I get, like, what's being sold to me. Like, even though I am not necessarily interested in it, I see how it's just, like, a giant pitch for, like, a certain lifestyle. And it's, like, shot in a way with all of this music and all of this excitement to make you want to, like, be in this world. Even though I agree with you, I am not yeah. interested in being in this world. This movie really did not do much to help the Navy's reputation as being the gayest of the military branches. Oh my god. (laughs) It's funny because I watched this movie with my fiance and a little bit before the volleyball scene, she was like, why is this movie so homoerotic? And I was like, yeah, right? Like Top Gun, volleyball is coming up. And she's like, yeah. And then 
the volleyball comes up and she's like, what is happening right now? And that's, I, that's <laughs> when I realized that she had no knowledge of Top Gun's reputation for just, you know, shirtless dudes bumping up against each other and fighting in the locker room and getting sweaty, climbing in like metal dicks and flying around in the sky, <laughs> shooting smaller dicks at each other. So close to each other's faces. <laughs> Like, you know, I feel like I really was, I, I had just said before we started, one day I want to send my parents an episode that I've been on of this, and that that's the moment where it's not happening. <laughs> At one point, it really looked like Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer were about to kiss in that locker room. Yeah. That would have been a better movie, probably. I, I love the thing with, like, Val Kilmer as Iceman. His whole vibe in the movie is... The worst person you know just made a good point. (laughs) It really is. He's so annoying and obnoxious, but he says nothing that is wrong. He is always correct. What a great choice for a military movie, too, because it's like, yeah, we're really interested in this maverick guy. But at the end of the day, following orders is the best way to go. But also, like, yeah, that's his job. Yeah. All right. So... Should we get into the romance of this movie? We probably should. All right. So, Melissa, as our guest, please guide us through the five points as every week we break down the romantic plotline into these points to help guide conversation and keep us on track in a very futile effort. <laughs> Thank you for adding that to the end. Because as I was trying to think of these five points, I tried to not be chronological because I feel like Will doesn't want that. So I I am happy with chronological order. <laughs> and then I realized that I didn't know if I wanted to do the romance points for Maverick and Charlie or Maverick and Goose or Maverick and Iceman. <laughs> so this is honestly just a gigantic mess and I'm sorry. So the first point is kind of something we've already talked about, which is Tom Cruise slash Maverick just sort of like living his best but slightly repressed life. And let's not bullshit, Maverick. Your family name ain't the best in the Navy. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? Just want to serve my country. Be the best fighter pilot in the Navy, sir. Don't screw around with me, Maverick. You're a hell of an instinctive pilot. Maybe too good. I'd like to bust your butt, but I can't. I got another problem here. I got to send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I got to do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. And he's just like vibing with his friend Goose, flying planes, being like a charming rake. And I think that's where the movie and the love begins for all of the different people he's in love with in the movie. Yeah, I mean, when we meet him, he's like going to animal night at the bar on base and flirting with people. He's a guy with tremendous confidence in himself and in his superiority to everyone around him like he loves goose but he's also sure that he is better than everyone else like the movie starts with him disobeying orders to land his plane to rescue another guy who's going through a breakdown and the movie's like yeah of course he should have done that i will say it led me to believe that uh there should be a second like for emergency situations the person in the back should be able to take control of the plane Because, like, what if the person in front of you gets shot through the glass? You should be able to, from the back seat, be able to land the plane. I guess you'd want to I agree with you. But, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, you're just sitting in the back seat like, damn. Guess I'm (laughs) going down, too. (laughs) 
I do think, though, that, like, the Maverick character at the start is just so, like, free and freewheeling and such a blast and by the end of the movie just like not only just mature like more mature but just so beaten down and sad i don't know i just felt like he really goes on a full journey but it's nice to see him at the start of this movie just kind of free yeah it's interesting because like i will say the first time i saw this movie i liked it less than i did this time because the first time i was like wait a minute this movie is about how like maverick is a jerk and that, like, gets people killed, and then he has to learn to be cocky again. But that's not really what's going on. Like, what he has to learn is, like, how to use his skill, not just for his own sake. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately, again, is, like, very much a military message. Yeah, you have to use your skill for the sake of the whole, not for individual glory. But that's also, like, a pretty interesting journey. And, like, Melissa, you have here in the notes that, like, the movie's very male, but very sensitive to, like... Look, the movie is, like, very homoerotic in a way that, like, you wonder how intentional it is. But it also is striking to see a movie this invested in, like, intense male friendship. I would argue that those are actual separate points because most of the homoeroticism comes from the rivalry. Sure. Like, you look at, like, Maverick and Goose and, like, how happy they are just to see each other happy. Yeah. I felt it more with him and Iceman. That makes sense. They're the ones who get so close, they're almost kissing. Yeah. And they go after the same girl. So what I want to know, though, is, like, we see Maverick in the bar, and maybe this is getting into your second point, Melissa, like, trying to do pickup lines. Do we think he is typically successful with this? Doesn't he say no? Yeah. Like, he sa- she asks, how often has this worked? And he goes, one time, saying it's, like, with you. Yeah. And, like, the way that Goose talks to him about making a bet. It seems like Goose is like, no, this never works. I think that he has success with women. It's like this tactic that doesn't work. Okay, sure. Yeah. I think he probably has other pickup methods than karaoke. Well, I think like because part of what's like interesting about this sort of way that he tries to pick up Charlie is like you said, I think he probably has success with women. Like he looks like Tom Cruise. He's very confident. Like I think he's probably not hurting in that area, but this particular way of trying to pick up Charlie feels like it's more for goose than it actually is for (laughs) Charlie. Like this is more of a game that they're playing with each other. And she's like the object of the game. She's like, whether he gets her or not, like if he gets her great, if not, he has fun with his best friend, but I doubt this particular tactic helps. Yeah. He is almost, at this point, still competing with Iceman, who is at the bar with them. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess that actually does bring me to the second point, which is the meet cute, where I think there's, we can talk about how he picks up Charlie, but then I also think the more interesting meet cute is when he meets Iceman, and the very, like, clear sort of, like, enemies to lovers journey that we know that they will go on, which I was infinitely more interested in <laughs> than his relationship with Charlie. So, you need any help? With what? You figured it out yet? What's that? Who's the best pilot? No, I think I can figure that one out on my own. I heard that about you. You like to work alone. Here's my big thing about Charlie, who is a civilian contractor who's an instructor at Top Gun that Tom Cruise falls in love with. She's a parent owner. Like, this is never acknowledged in the text of the movie, but the first time Maverick goes over to 
her house and they're hanging out, there is like a big parrot in a cage on her porch. <laughs> I don't think I even recognize this. I don't I get think it. it is it is an essential piece of character information. <laughs> She's a lady with a big parrot. Good for her. Good for her. Like, I don't get why she's interested in him. I think that's why I really, like, struggle to connect with it overall, is I don't really get her interest in him. But maybe I'm projecting because I don't get it. No, I think you're right that, like, that's the biggest issue that the movie has. It's, like, not clear what grabs her. It might just be, like, the audacity of the moves he's pulling in the bar that night and then she's kind of compelled by him since he's the pilot that she's been like reading about from this weird interaction with this like mystery new plane yeah but i don't really know why she is persuaded to like lick his tongue <laughs> to break her rule <laughs> right. I mean, of also because students. also because when he tries to pick her up he basically says like do you want to have sex on the counter and I just can't imagine that, I mean, obviously it didn't work, but I just can't even imagine someone like her being like, yes, I will continue having conversations with this person in the future. You know, another movie that I thought about watching this was Ghostbusters, because that's 1984, and I think both of these movies have a very Reagan-era, screw-the-experts attitude in their mm. heroes, where, like, that first presentation where Maverick realizes that the girl he was trying to pick up was this instructor. He's just, like, laying into her of, like, yeah, you've seen the books, but, like, I know it because I was flying up there. Like, who's the real expert? And it it very much put her in the Walter Peck position of, like, no, you're just, like, the dumb government functionary. You don't know what it's really like. Yeah. And yeah. she is wrong based off of his experience. He's very mean about it. And I think the movie almost thinks that, like, she finds that kind of compelling and i don't know why anyone would yeah i don't understand yeah, their relationship spoiler alert my points will be pretty low <laughs> but i do i actually just really love the Iceman maverick story i love the instant competition when they meet i love the getting too close to each other's faces i think this is like my favorite love story in top gun i mean it's a good one and yeah Iceman just like he immediately resents Maverick because he was friends with another pilot who was supposed to be coming to Top Gun, but couldn't because he's the one who froze during the training sequence at the start of the movie. So Maverick wound up getting his slot. So Iceman resents Maverick for being there, but also is like, you're too reckless. Yeah, because I mean, so right. the fact that he like buzzes the superior officer in his plane and spills his coffee, I was shocked that he didn't get in more trouble for that and i get why Iceman's like you will get someone killed which spoiler alert <laughs> does happen does. <laughs> but i think one of the reasons he gets away with that regarding viper gets into your point three melissa which is that viper flew with maverick's dad yes my third point of the rudely named daddy issues is like i think this is a really interesting like central conflict for maverick i mean of course there's like goose's death is like the catalyst for this or like it's one of the catalysts in his journey but like this idea of this like relationship that he has with his dad that he's always trying to prove himself when he's flying to like meet this you know story that he doesn't know about with his father and then viper comes in to sort of play this like pseudo dad role i just think for a movie that's so invested in like you know the year of dudes 
it's it's very sensitive it's very emotional and personal this big conflict and feelings about his dad he disappeared in an f4 november 5th 1965. the stink of it was he screwed up My old man was a great fighter pilot. But who the hell knows, it's all classified. I also think the movie, like, hits that note just enough. Like, you don't have this character who's constantly mm-hmm. going on about, like, I need the mystery of my dad. It's not, like, Amazing Spider-Man 2 or anything. No, <laughs> I, ap- I appreciate the level of daddy issues in this movie. It's yes. there enough that it clearly matters and it affects his relationship with other people, but they're like, you, you get it. You're familiar with this concept. <laughs> and also in this phase, though, he is continuing to pursue Charlie, Kelly McGillis. He's continuing to try to hook up with her. And for a while, she is like, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. But then she does. <laughs> then she does. She like gives him a note that says, hey, come over to my place tonight. And he goes over and immediately he is like, let's bang. And she's constantly trying, like, again, she is like tempted, but trying to steer it away from immediate bangitude. Yeah. (laughs) Immediate bangitude. Oh my God. Wow. The whole time he's in there, like he shows up and he's like, sorry, I'm sweaty. Do you mind if I take a shower? And she's like, no, (laughs) no, don't take a shower. That was the most realistic part of the relationship to me is when he's like, can I take a shower? And she goes, no, that's weird. I do think it's like very like we're talking about like the gay reading of this movie. Like when Maverick is playing shirtless sundown volleyball and then leaves it to go and be with this woman. It feels very much like a guy who, if we're taking that reading, like cannot accept his bros and is insisting on trying to live a life that he should not. It is very telling that he leaves the shirtless volleyball game to go to sleep with Charlie for the first time. With the volleyball game, this is something else I had in the notes. Were jeans just more comfortable in the 80s? Like, why were they playing in jeans? They can't have been. They <laughs> it just doesn't. I can't imagine jeans were better in the past. The trend of clothing right? is get is towards getting more comfortable. Right. And so I'm like, just straight up jeans, beach volleyball. Like, hey, is this big denim it looks making good. a move in the military movie? It looks good. It does look good. It did look good. Yeah, I'm guessing that's regulation. <laughs> Imagine if at the Olympics, the beach volleyballers had to compete in a can- Canadian tuxedo. Maybe that was one of the military's like comments when they played the volleyball. It has to be in jeans. The Pentagon so would manly. shut it down if they didn't play shirtless volleyball <laughs> in jeans to accurately reflect what the Navy does in their spare time. Exactly. You get it. <laughs> I'm guessing maybe that was Matthew Modine's issue. They offered Matthew Modine the role of Maverick, and he said no because it was too pro-military. Maybe what he meant was, I refuse to abide by this military requirement of jeans for volleyball. <laughs> oh my god. I like that interpretation. I mean, it is a great scene, but it yeah. like m- like many parts of this movie, though, I think, why is this happening? I will say, um, I'm guessing neither of you knows the Top Gun Maverick trailer as well as I do. But... Probably not. <laughs> They seem to be teasing football in that one. I don't like that. Are they going to be in jeans, though? I think if they're in jeans, maybe. But I like volleyball. I think that, I mean, it's such an iconic scene. 
Right. It's it's literally perfect. It all just works. They should have recreated this for Top Gun Maverick. Right now, Mark, yes. tell me Maverick's first name. She's <laughs> <laughs> no cheating, right? Uh, is it not Tom Cruise? All one word. <laughs> Tom Cruise Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> As I don't know any of their actual names besides Charlie. I only know the call signs. Melissa, do That's... you know Maverick's name? I'm pretty sure it's Pete. It is. It's Pete. (laughs) But it's like, it is a name that shows up just often enough to confirm that he has one. I am so Like, everybody calls him Maverick. Even Charlie calls him Maverick. Yeah, that's the thing. It feels like they're trying to dodge cinema sins 20 years early. (laughs) Getting ahead of the curve on it. Yeah, it's like Pete, Pete Mitchell, Pete. Yeah, Pete Mitchell. Wow. I don't know anyone else's name, though. It's only his that I remember. I knew Val Kilmer. I knew Iceman was Kazansky because Top Gun mm. Maverick is directed by Joseph Kaczynski. And I thought that was an odd coincidence. <laughs> hmm. Intentional choice. So I think we're moving on to point four. Yes. Where all of this music, I mean, Mark, you said it well, that this movie hates silence. And there are some great songs in this, though. There's Danger Zone, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. And then, of course take my breath away which almost got to the point where it was like funny to me of like you're just watching the movie and then all of a sudden like it felt like a prank at a certain point of like i don't know if it comes up so often so often but it's like even it's like unexpected take my breath away for me of just like you're sitting there and kind of like how and like paul rudd goes on conan show and like every time he goes he plays like this same clip from a movie it's like you you know it's coming but it's unexpected every single time that it happens look the top gun soundtrack went nine times platinum so it worked it, <laughs> the songs are good the songs are good it's just like there was one moment though that i thought was interesting where it's like usually take my breath away plays like when maverick's having a moment with charlie or like where it's you know signifying some romantic part of the movie but i did notice and like that it starts a bit early at one point where she's like instructing the class and it actually starts playing when one of the guys leans down to Maverick and says like that was one of the bravest moves I've ever seen man and that's when the song starts playing and this is just my own personal canon of them leaning even deeper into Maverick not being straight (laughs) I will say, if I find out that in Top Gun Maverick, he is out of the closet, I will watch it. <laughs> is that your, that has to happen for you to go see it. Indeed. I think that's fair. If after Don't Ask, Don't Tell is repealed, Maverick comes out of the closet, <laughs> I will watch Top Gun Maverick. Do you think that Top Gun Maverick will also have Take My Breath Away or will there be some new song? They will at least play the doom, 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 doom <laughs> at least once. Yeah. The question is, will Miles Teller have to do the same kind of kiss with somebody? Oh, God. <sighs> Don't make me think about it again. I Okay, would you rather see Tom, Cr- like, Tom Cruise do that kind of kiss in Top Gun Maverick or Miles Teller do it? Tom Cruise. I, I want to see modern Tom Cruise kiss anybody because I think it would be weird. <laughs> I think it would be so weird that it would just be like, it would be compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Like, when's the last time Tom Cruise kissed somebody in a movie? With the caveat, I did not see American Made. <laughs> 
I mean, like, well, he he kisses someone in one of, like the later Mission Impossible ones. Has he kissed anyone since three? I don't know. I thought he kissed. I can't remember anyone's name. He has not kissed Rebecca Ferguson because that's the whole appeal of that relationship. Maybe like okay, undercover. That's what I was say. Okay. Maybe like Vanessa Kirby kissed him. I don't know. I want to see Tom Cruise kiss some people because I want to know what it looks like these days. I mean, I I hope then that he recreates this kiss with Jennifer Connelly, or I assume she's the love interest in the movie for Top yeah. Gun Maverick. What is your favorite? Like, do you prefer Danger Zone or Take My Breath Away from Top Gun? I mean, my favorite track is the Top Gun anthem, the instrumental theme. Of course. Okay. <laughs> I love that piece. Um, I used to, all, when I was in my high school marching band, I used to always try to push for us to play it because it was like in our marching band songbook and everyone would get mad at me and be like absolutely not and what i learned is that the trumpets had the melody and i played trumpet and everyone else just had the whole notes <laughs> i think take my breath away because of how often it's played has become my number one yeah there's something there's something about when that dun dun dun, it's just like oh man you're you're there yeah it's a great mood setter well i guess this can take us to the fifth point or maybe we should talk a little about the entropies of Goose dying. I did not understand how he died. I didn't really and get it either. <laughs> I rewound that part multiple times and watched it on like 0.5 speed to try and understand what. So happened what's happening here. is the plane is go like the plane is malfunctioning. It's going down. I think this is like like part of the key of it is like Goose dies. It's nobody's fault. Right. It's just technical stuff. So the plane is going down, and they both are trying to get the ejector seats to work so they can like parachute out of the plane. And if you watch it when they're going out, Goose hits his head on the cockpit, launching out before the cockpit has fully opened. Mm. So okay. that's and what it's just like him. So like the force of it all just yeah. hitting, like... Yeah, the force of his ejector seat hitting his head against the cockpit, that's what kills him. R.I.P. Now Meg Ryan's a widow. So sad. I just like... I didn't really get it at first, and then I when I wa- I watched it on 0.5 speed, and it kind of made me laugh because it's like really slow of like Tom Cruise yelling like "Watch the <laughs> like be careful," and then like Goose dies. So it's not funny, but it was funny, and I think that like this kind of gets to the fifth point of him finally taking. Iceman's like advice and also returning to the Maverick that we met in the beginning and you know as you said well like learning to use like his skills for a different purpose instead of just like his own fun and like confidence and cockiness and he learns you know that you don't leave your wingman and then after I wrote this part after I wrote this is my fifth point I thought well then he kind of left Goose because he threw his ghost his his dog tags in the ocean which i didn't understand that part but i, I guess the point is still don't it's supposed to be more man. that like he's come to peace like when he's hanging on the, the dog tags he's also not able to do anything else he's mm, not able true. to be a be a pilot really he's not able to be with charlie he's just so fixated on that and he goes and he sees meg ryan and meg ryan has that whole thing where she's saying like he loved you and he loved flying with you and he would hate to think that you never flew again and so he's letting go of Goose in a way so that he can mm-hmm. move forward. Now, do I think he should maybe offer the dog tags to Meg That's Ryan or the kid? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Instead of just throwing them in the ocean. Also, just want to say again, Meg Ryan truly a star. Just She's like great. genuinely oh my a God. star. It's like Julia Roberts in Steel Magnolias, where you're like, the whole movie should be her. Right. <laughs> exactly. I do like that the 
love story at the end is still kind of ambiguous. Yes. Like, it doesn't end with him and Charlie kissing or getting back together. They're just, like, having a coffee, right? I heard the best of the best were going to be back here, so... Uh... Baby, baby, get down this could be complicated. You know, on the first one, I crashed and burned. And the second? I think it's implied they're getting back. I think it's implied, but I do like that it's like still it's not, you know, the stereotypical they have a kiss. But like, I think that is part of why he chooses to stay at Top Gun. Yeah, is to be with her. And I mean, and we don't want them to kiss again, right? (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't need to see it again. Imagine if they just started licking each other's tongue. And it's like Romancing the Stone where like the end credits just play over a long shot, but it's a long shot of the two of them licking their tongues. (laughs) No. Ugh. All right, Melissa. After watching Top Gun, do you find the romance believable? Uh, Between Maverick and Charlie, absolutely not. Not in any capacity. I just feel like she would have more significant professional boundaries. Yeah. Yes. They don't make her a Maverick enough to fall for Maverick. Like, she's too by the books. Right. Which I respect. I respect as well. And that's why I feel like We're pro she book. would have too much respect to do this. So where would you rate it on a 10-point scale? I want you guys to go first. No, you have to go first. That's your. Is that that's the, the cost of being the guest. Okay. Um, low. <laughs> like, very, very low. I don't know. Like, three? Yeah, I Mark, what do you think? I was going for like a three or four. I was I'm gonna go with a four. Okay. And the three is only just because Tom Cruise is hot in it, so I get that. I get it. Like I get why she would consider it. So if this were like I don't know, somebody somebody who's not as hot, you'd be like a one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Do you think that either Pete, Maverick, Mitchell, I remember <laughs> and Charlie <laughs> is dateable? I don't think I I don't think so. Maybe Charlie, but then I'm like her choices going right. after Pete Maverick Mitchell are very questionable. That's the issue. Like she should be, but you really have to question her judgment. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So Melissa, who would you date in Top Gun then? Iceman. <laughs> He's so obnoxious. He he is obnoxious. He's obnoxious. But he does look like Val Kilmer, and then he, he is, is right. right about everything. <laughs> you know, like, he's very cautious and smart and very good at his job, despite being a little obnoxious. But he's obnoxious because Maverick is obnoxious. So right. Okay. I'm think, obviously going think... Meg Ryan. Yeah, I'm dating Meg Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. She's a real ride or die, so that's a good choice. I actually think there's not a lot of bad choices in this. Like, Goose is not bad. I think Viper's a good option. I think Viper's a good option, too. That mustache. like that's. I, I feel mean, like, like Maverick is the worst option in the movie. I agree. Um, Melissa, do you think that Charlie and Maverick will stay together? Um, no. Based on the trailer <laughs> for Top Gun Maverick, I also say no. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> they did not. I also just, like, I don't know. I don't know, feel like I know what Maverick's path forward is at the end of this movie. Me neither. Yeah, I just, yeah. they're both too uncertain 
they are in an equal position by the end of the movie, so that would be a positive, but... I think they have, like, a nice little fling for a couple more months. And then it ends amicably. Yeah. Yeah, that feels right. Now, Melissa, the most important question. Oh my god. Many of the films we've covered have been adapted into Broadway musicals. Should there be a Top Gun musical? Definitely. I think there should be. There's already so much music. Like, it, it, we're, we're so close. We're so close. How would they do the plane fighting? Warhorse style. <laughs> They're in puppets. I was going to say, you, like, you maybe do it with, like, yeah, some kind of, like, puppetry. I think it could be interesting. I think it would be fun. It would Top make Gun, it gayer. Maverick the musical. <laughs> so, I don't know about Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun the musical has been put on. No, it hasn't. Yes. Um, <laughs> it premiered in Canada. Its U.S. premiere was in Houston in 2002. Now, to be fair, it's a meta-musical. It's a musical, a musical about a musical writer. Writing the Top Gun musical? It's, like, kind of producers-y, where, like, he has written other musicals that flopped, like Apocalypse Wow. <laughs> Top. This sounds, this sounds awful. And so then, like... He's just like trying to get a hit and decides that Top Gun is going to be the way to go. That so it's a musical about writing a Top Gun musical. I want to that see a straight Top Gun musical, though. Well, Mark, you should uh, you should get on that. I'm sure it would take our breath away. I hate you. <sighs> and with that, I think we are done with Top Gun. <laughs> Melissa, I'm so glad you could come on to talk about this. Um, maybe I'll see me. you at the theaters this weekend watching Maverick. <laughs> It's possible. It's like genuinely. That trailer likely. fools me constantly because every time it starts, it goes Paramount, Skydance, Shot of a Snowy Mountain. And I'm like, Mission Impossible 7? <laughs> if only. That's really what I want. Uh, but it, in the meantime, next week, we will be covering the 1942 B-movie Cat People. We're going back to the classic horror well. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Melissa, last question. I hope you're ready. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie? Use your tongue a lot when you kiss. (laughs) Karaoke has a 100% success rate in this movie because ultimately, Maverick does get with Charlie and Goose's singing of Great Balls of Fire at the bar seems to really endear him even more to Meg Ryan. Huh. You took mine, Will. I mean, there's something just, that works in this you movie. You can just agree with me, Mark. You can just agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you shoot your shot and show up and say, can I take a shower at your place? Even if you don't get the shower, you get the result you're looking for. <laughs> Mark, please do not uh, I will come over to my place and try to take that. a shower. I live way too close to your apartment to ever need a shower there. All right, well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye.